Wisconsin, and this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Anytime you do something for the first time, it's it's a little weird. It's a little uncomfortable. You're not really sure how to react to it after the fact, right? It goes for anything, not just sports. Well, the Bucks did something last night that they had not yet done up until this point in the season. By the way, to put it in perspective, it is March 5th. It's been a while since this regular season has gotten underway. The Bucks lost back-to-back games last night for the first time all season. They lost 114-105 to the Suns, and it would be easy to get upset because, yeah, the Suns suck. They're 14-51 and compared to the Bucs, 48-16. and Yeah, the Suns are bad. The Suns are also the only team to have beaten the Bucs twice this year. Excuse me, beaten the Bucs in back-to-back games. Nobody else has been able to pull it off. The Bucs losing at Utah on Saturday. And we talked about that win yesterday or that loss, and I actually don't think it's that bad of a loss. I think it might be as beneficial as a win would have been on Saturday night. Last night is a is a little bit different story. It's not that I am celebrating the loss or thinking that this loss is a good thing, but I understand it, right? I can feel what the Bucks were maybe feeling last night down in Phoenix at Talking Stick Arena where tickets probably costed like $12. The Bucks are worth some value. The Suns tickets, if the Suns were playing the Knicks, the games would be, tickets would be what, $4, $5? The Bucks are going to drive the price up a little bit. Give the Bucks credit. But they lose anyways, 114 to 105. I don't love the loss, I'm not okay with it in the way that I was on Saturday to Utah, but I understand it. We'll talk about that in a minute. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. You can join me on the five-star telecom talk and text line at 608-796-2558. Justin Garcia of the Bucks Radio Network is going to do just that and join us coming up here in about 10 minutes to continue the Bucks conversation. I want to get into Packers talk coming up later on in the show, not necessarily about the Combine, but about player acquisition, specifically through free agency. And I want to compare two position groups, and maybe what the Packers' best plan of attack would be. And and I would love to get your help on that if I could on the five-star telecom talk and text line. Also on Twitter, at Keystroker Grant and at WKTY. I don't love the Bucks' loss last night. I don't think it was necessarily a good loss like I thought the loss to Utah on Saturday was, but I understand it. So the Bucks lose 114-105 to 105 last night, and yeah, they did have everyone healthy, of course, minus George Hill, who's been injured for some time now, but they had both of their point guards back in, which they didn't have on Saturday. Giannis had 21 points, 13 rebounds, 6 assists. He had a pretty good game. It was an MVP, amazing, stratospheric type of game, but he had a pretty good game. After that, it was very sporadic. It was very odd. Middleton only had 6 points. One of 13 from the field. Brooke Lopez was three of 11 from the field. Bledsoe, five of 15. And Bledsoe isn't the traditional shooter that Middleton or Brogdon might be. He's in the paint a lot. His field goal percentage is typically quite high. So five of 15 for uh, Eric Bledsoe, even compared to Middleton and Brogdon last night, was was okay. It was poor, but it's especially poor given Bledsoe's typically doing a lot of that attacking in the paint, especially down around the rim. Brogdon was seven of 12 with 19 points. Miritich was three of 14. Nobody shot well last night. And I know sometimes you, you just don't have shots to fall, right? And that's why you lose a game. I don't think that was the case last night. I thought they were sloppy in transition. I thought they gave up a lot of put-back boards on the defensive glass, meaning I thought the Suns took advantage of getting some rebounds on the offensive side and getting put-back boards. DeAndre Ayton was was pushing around Brooke Lopez. Kelly Oubre was getting up and around the rim and, and really doing some damage in the paint 
in terms of putback points. I don't think it was just the shooting and the poor shooting that led the Bucks to lose last night. I thought it was just sloppy play in transition. They didn't clean up on the glass, but I understand it, right? If you take a look at the schedule, back-to-back games, are, are they're not uncommon. They're not common, but they happen. All teams have to play them. This was not an instance of a back-to-back. It was an instance of three games in four nights, which may be even more difficult. They played the Lakers on Friday, which we talked about. They lost to Utah on Saturday, which we talked about. And then they turned around and play Phoenix last night on a Monday, which is three games in four days. And it was the last game in this road trip, this five-game Western Conference road trip. Or or I should say four-game Western Conference road trip, five as a whole. They started at Chicago, then went to Sacramento, to L.A., to Utah, and then ended in Phoenix. So five-game road trip, four of them on the West Coast, three games in four days. It's easy to see why the Bucs were maybe, they're just ready to be done. Now, I'm going to be honest. Maybe you're, you wouldn't be willing to admit this. I sure am. On Thursday afternoon or on Friday afternoon when my classes are wrapping up, I'm looking at the clock. Professor says, all right, you got you got this homework to do. You got this reading to do. I'm saying, okay, 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 okay. I'm looking at the clock, right? She says, all right, write this down. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. What time's the clock? Where's the clock going? I'm maybe not putting in 100% effort on a Thursday or a Friday because I know just get done with this class, just get done with the shift, and then you got three days to make up for it on the other side, right? You got Friday, Saturday, Sunday to rest and recuperate. You can worry about whatever problem that is caused by maybe being a little bit lazy in class, by maybe, in the Bucks' case, not playing well in transition or not cleaning up uh, the backboard and not doing a good job rebounding. We can deal with that in our upcoming days off. This is the last game of the road trip, or in our case, this is the last day of the work week. And I'm just ready for the weekend. I'm going to I'm gonna coast it to the finish here. I think that was the case for the Milwaukee Bucks last night. Now, of course, Phoenix is so bad, and the Bucks still should have been able to win this game. Their jump shooters just weren't hitting shots. And every once in a while, that's going to happen. How often do you hear a basketball coach say, well, I can't yell, I can't scream, I can't drop a play for the, for the ball to go through the hoop? And that's 100% true. So last night was the perfect storm of a couple of things. They're shooting shooters, playing very poorly. And I just think they wanted to be done with this road trip. This this stretch of basketball. The Bucks now have two days off. They have Tuesday, Wednesday off. And they host Indiana on Thursday. Back at the Pfizer form. I just think the Bucs were looking ahead and saying, man, it's the last game of this road trip. We're in Phoenix. Who are awful. We don't want to be here. We're going to coast it into the end. And if the Bucs had just hit shots, they would have been just fine. They would have won the game. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. And we're sitting here uh, on March 5th. Count our blessings that this is the first time all season that the Bucs have lost back-to-back games. Which is absurd. And I know everybody's kind of overreacting, kind of frustrated because the Bucs are such a good team. They are the one seed. They should not lose to the Phoenix Suns in a team of that caliber. It's just a combination of a lot of things. Last game of this long Western Conference trip. Three games in four days. I, the Bucs were looking at the clock. They were saying, yeah, five o'clock comes around. I'm going to go home. I'm going to have a beer and I can worry about whatever I'm missing right now. I can worry about that on Monday. We all do it. At work, I do it at class for sure. On Thursday, I have my last class at 2 o'clock. I'm lucky to be done pretty early in the week. And I'm saying, as that clock comes up to 2, I'm like, yeah, whatever she's talking about, yeah, that's great. But but I'm I'm already checked out this week. Like, I, I put four days of really tough class in. I've been in the library every night. I've been doing the Wisco Sports Show every day. I just need a breather. I need the weekend. Whatever problem, whatever, whatever newsworthy, noteworthy item that I'm missing right now in lecture, I can deal with it this weekend, man, because I need a break. I think the Bucs were thinking a little bit like that as well. And we're all lying out there if you say you don't do the exact same thing at your job. Let's be real. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talk and text line. Joining us here in a couple of minutes will be Justin Garcia from the Bucks Radio Network and WTMG. Jay, the Bucks have the nights off, so does he. He's going to join us to talk about a couple of things because if you think about it, 
The Bucs did play three games in four days, but that's only half of the storyline, uh, and it only includes half of the storylines revolving around this Bucks team right now because they signed Pau Gasol, who saw a little bit of action last night. They extended Eric Bledsoe, and we, we continue to kind of accumulate details and accumulate numbers in the Eric Bledsoe situation as well. So we're learning more about that, an acquisition and an extension, and then, of course, three games in four days, all of which have very different narratives, right? Friday night was the Bled Show. They took down the Lakers. Saturday night, they blew a huge lead. Giannis was great, but that was about it. And Donovan Mitchell went off. And I said, look, that's that's a healthy loss for the Bucs. That's a good way to push the reset button with no point guards playing and kind of reevaluate and reposition yourself for this final stretch of the regular season. Last night, the Bucs just wanted to be done. Three games in four days, last game of the road trip. They're ready to come home. They're ready to be done. They're looking at the clock saying, man, I don't want to be here. <laughs> to quote Eric Bledsoe last year when he was in Phoenix. Appropriate, right? When we come back, like I said, we're going to talk to Justin Garcia. Packers talk on the way as well later on in the show. A lot of good stuff today. You're not going to want to go anywhere. More of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next here on WKTY. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. Joining me, we're talking Bucks basketball and even looking all the way back to Friday, there's just so much going on, not only on the court in the last leg of this Western Conference road trip, which ended last night in Phoenix. The Bucks lost, as we've been talking about, but they also signed Pau Gasol. We're still talking about that. They extended Eric Bledsoe. We're still talking about that. And here to join us and continue talking about all of that on the five-star telecom talk and text line is Justin Garcia of the Bucks Radio Network and of WTMJ. Justin, you had a busy weekend. How you doing, man? Yeah, it, uh, it was a busy weekend, um, back-to-back games. It was an eventful weekend on and off the floor, but uh, good, to be, good to be on the air in the cross, an area where I cut my teeth in the broadcasting business. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely, Justin. I want to start, it still feels like we're talking about all of Friday's news, Pau Gasol being signed. Well, why don't we start there? I don't know if it means a whole lot other than just a, a presence on the team and a good guy to have. I think it would be best if the Bucks barely have to play him at all. What did you think when you saw the, the Pau Gasol news? Yeah, I think we were all kind of uh, surprised that it was Pau Gasol. I think when you looked at the final roster spot they had, they signed Isaiah Kanan to a 10-day deal uh, last week, basically just out of necessity because of the injuries that were piling up in the backcourt. But when you looked at that last roster spot they had, I think we all kind of assumed it would be something like that in that, um, you, you know, you can never have enough shooters in Coach Bud's system. But the one thing he kept coming back to was there's a good chance the Bucks are going to have to play at least one of the two teams in the 76ers or the Raptors, and maybe even both. And the issue with that is if you run into them on a night when Brooke Lopez gets into foul trouble, let's say, your options to go to a, another big man are, are really limited. I know you can play Ursan there. We've seen them play. Uh, Nikola Miritic there already, and DJ Wilson as well. But those aren't ideal matchups against guys like Joel Embiid and Marcus All Powell's younger brother. So I think we all kind of assumed that extra spot would be used on a big guy, just kind of waiting to see who hit the market. Uh, the Paul Gasol thing certainly caught us all off guard that the Spurs worked that buyout with him right up until the deadline for him to be eligible for the postseason uh, and then joining the Bucks. So Bit of a surprise, but it makes sense. He's a guy that I agree with you. I, I know we saw him last night for five minutes, but he didn't play in the second half. I think by and large, you're not going to see a lot of him. It's mostly an insurance policy. And he's another guy that you bring around that, you know, at the time of the George Hill acquisition, we talked about George Hill being a guy that's played in more than 100 
playoff games throughout his career in the finals with the Cavs last year. Pau Gasol, much of the same, where 12 times he's been in the playoffs and won two championships. So just an insurance policy you have, but a guy that brings all that experience as well. No, and I, I agree. Experience is always good. Depth is always good when you're gearing up for a playoff run. I, I'll ask you, as somebody who's as plugged into the Bucks as just about anyone, were you expecting an Eric Bledsoe contract extension to get done? Uh, and then after you heard, what was your reaction? I know numbers and, and figures continue to come out, so we know a little bit more, but but where do you stand on this whole Eric Bledsoe deal? Uh, no, I was not. I was, I was very surprised by that. That move was more surprising than the Pau Gasol move, which sure. kind of came out of nowhere as well. Um, I think we all assumed Eric Bledsoe would just wait until the summer and test the market, see what the market has. Now, he's a Rich Paul guy, so when you're in Los Angeles, that certainly kind of speeds things up for that process. But when you listen to what he said, too, and, and he really hasn't changed or deviated from saying this since joining the Bucks, he likes it here, and he especially likes playing for Coach Bud. That's very apparent that these two guys have clicked I think really Eric Bledsoe is the guy that when you watch the way that Coach Bud draws things up, Eric Bledsoe maybe has the most trust um, of Coach Bud of anyone on that team. And he's said he kind of lets him, I don't know if I'd say go off script, but he lets Bledsoe kind of freelance and do what he wants on defense. It really helps his team move. So it's been a good pairing with those two guys. He's talked a couple of times about now in year two and going through a full year with these guys, through the playoffs, getting more familiarity with them, uh, that has certainly been helpful. And you can make the case he's playing the best basketball of his career. Uh, but a guy that, you know, really has said from day one all the right things and that he loves it here, he wants to be here. And that's and that end, it's not surprising that he re-signed. But looking at the, the summer and all the free agents out there and some of the teams with money, I think that's the surprise that you were able to lock him up now because you look at that contract four years 70 million i think we all and other people i've talked to about this have shared the same thought of if eric Bledsoe would wait until the summer he would have gotten at least that deal maybe he could have gotten something in the neighborhood of closer to 80 million dollars so it just shows you this is a place where he's comfortable and where guys want to come down not only him but paul gasol's the same thing and you heard nikola miritich talk about recruiting Powell and he didn't have to try that hard. That Pau Gasol had told him this was one of the places he had circled that he wanted to go to because of the uh, culture and the atmosphere that players hear about and obviously because of owning the best record in the league. So a long-winded way of answering it, I was very much surprised <laughs> they agreed to lock him up, but happy to see it happen. And I think the Bucks came out ahead here in that, you know, it's a move that you get Eric Bledsoe for four more years. You lock up a position that's tough to do, especially the defense that Eric Bledsoe gives you. But if you wait until the summer, you would have paid at least that much, if not more. No, and, and I'm glad to just remove one question mark from, from those four free right. agents to be in the starting lineup. Justin Garcia joining us from the Bucks Radio Network and WTMJ here on the Wisco Sports Show. Let's let's start on Saturday. Justin, I get nervous when the Bucks just keep winning and winning and winning because I, I, I just feel like it becomes... I don't know. Winning is always good, right? I, I, I get nervous that when the playoffs comes around that they're, that they're almost not going to be ready. Like, I think about the 2011 Packers, and that was appeared to be the case. Like, I, I think a good, healthy loss here and there can actually be a good thing. The loss on Saturday night in Utah without a point guard, it really didn't bother me. What were your thoughts about that big-blown lead and about the debacle on, on Saturday night? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think uh, Coach has said basically the same thing after the game, and there's been maybe... 
three or four of the losses uh, this year where after the game, Coach Bud has basically said, not that this game means nothing, but this loss is very, very uh, insignificant here. And especially Saturday night, when you look at the starting five that they rolled out there, where Chris Middleton was essentially your point guard and your starting four power forwards or three power forwards in the center there. So yeah. kind of handcuffed there with the backcourt, as, as you pointed to. And for whatever reason, Utah is just the most difficult place for the Bucks to win. It used to be Phoenix. Maybe it is again now. But Utah, the last time they won there was Anthony Mason's debut, the season opener in 2001. So it's been a tough place for him to win. All the things with the lineup stacked against him, a back-to-back, you kind of assumed that it was going to be a tough go of it, and a loss was certainly probable. But I think the thing that stood out the most, and this is what Giannis talked about and what Coach Bud and Brooke Lopez all mentioned, the deck was definitely stacked against the Bucks for all those reasons. And, yes, you saw them squander a double-digit lead in the second half, but they came back a handful of times. And, really, that's been what we've seen in most of these losses this year. I mean, you go to last night as well where – the Bucks aren't playing particularly well, but there are racing deficits and building big leads where you can't really point to anything outside of that Orlando game just under a month ago where they were basically outplayed from start to finish and not in the game. I, I think we're pretty blessed to be talking about the first back-to-back loss of the season here in early March, Justin. I, that still blows my mind. Yeah. Uh, we've been pretty blessed. And I'll ask you kind of as a last question. The Bucks have Indy on Thursday, but then Chicago Sacramento, New Orleans, like there's not a juggernaut really on the schedule until Philly, as much as I like Indiana. What are you looking for for the rest of March, let's just say? What do you want to see from this Bucks team that will make you feel even better than you do currently about this upcoming playoff run, hopefully a deep playoff run? Well, and, you know, that thing that you just pointed to, the back-to-back losses, too, um, I mean, we need to take a minute and stop and just reflect on that, that that's something, as the season progressed, I, I brought it up to other people I would talk to and I remember bringing it up to Steve Novak, and he couldn't really put into words just how difficult it is and explain, look, you lose throughout the NBA. Teams that are better will lose. That's just how it is uh, on a nightly basis. Where We've seen the Warriors lose to some teams. You saw the Sixers lose to the Cavs earlier this year. Obviously, the Bucks losing to the Suns, where some nights you just don't have it. So to go that long, 60-plus games, before you lost two in a row, Steve had told me he had never been on a team that did that. He didn't remember a team in recent memory that went that deep to avoid a losing streak. So that certainly is something that, you know, starting to get the attention now, but certainly deserves it. As far as what I'm looking for, um, you know, I've kind of been banging this drum in that you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself, but I just don't know what else there is for this team left to prove sure. in that, it seems like, and this isn't an attack on national media, but it seems like we're always looking for holes to poke here in the Bucks' resume or whoever it is, the Raptors, in recent years as well. And if you look at what the Bucks have done, not only having the best record, the best road record as well, one of the best home records in the NBA, but look at their point differential and where they rank their, uh, their net rating. These are both categories where the Bucks are ranking among some of the historically great teams for the last, 25-plus years. So this isn't just a matter of they have the best record in the league and, you know, they were really good for one month and rode a hot wave. This is a team that really, since December 1st, has far and away been the best team in the NBA. 
And I think what you look for now from here on out into the playoffs is just health because the way this team is playing, the way that the metrics line up here, the only thing that is going to derail this team, I mean, look at their record against those teams there with them in the standings, teams like the Raptors and the Celtics and the Sixers and Pacers. The only thing that you look to to bring them down is an injury. So for me, it's just looking for this team to remain healthy going into the postseason. Justin, I, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad you didn't have one big issue you need to see corrected. Just stay healthy, make it to the postseason, and, and that's our homework is to just keep our fingers crossed that the Bucks stay healthy. Justin, I appreciate it, and we'll hear you, of course, right here on WKTY on Thursday night. Let's talk again in a little bit, maybe as the, as the postseason starts up. You bet. Anytime, Grant. Thanks, Justin, uh, for joining us. Just a couple of minutes on the five-star telecom talk and text line. That's Justin Garcia from the Bucks Radio Network and, of course, WTMJ. That was great. I had a blast. Did you have fun? I had a blast talking to Justin. And it is an interesting stretch of basketball this weekend and into the next week or so. You're going to have some competitive teams. You have Indiana on Thursday who I don't I, I still can't wrap my mind around it. They're a great coach team. They have good personnel, but they continue to do this and play well without a superstar missing Oladipo. Then they have Chicago, Sacramento, who I like. That's going to be a tough game on the road. Or San Antonio, excuse me, not Sacramento. And then New Orleans next week, Miami. They're, they're really, the next juggernaut is on the 17th. With Philadelphia. Stay healthy. Keep winning more games than you lose. Let's get to the postseason, like Justin said, in one piece. When we come back, I want to transition. I want to talk about the Green Bay Packers, and I don't want to talk 40 times. I don't want to talk bench press. I don't care about that stuff, and neither should you. I want to talk about established NFL players who are going to be available. We're going to talk free agent classes at a couple of positions and where the Packers and how the Packers should maybe allocate their resources and their investment whether it's a big-name player, whether it's a small-name player, and which position, because I think it does make a difference. That's coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY 96.7 FM. 580 AM or streaming live at WKTYsports.com and on our mobile app as well. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for hopping aboard and tuning in. I'm glad to have you. Hope you're having a good night. We've been covering a lot of ground in terms of the Milwaukee Bucks. Want to transition to the Packers. Not because I'm anti-Bucks, but because I, I feel like we need to address this. All the, the eyes have been on the combine. All the eyes have been on, obviously, the draft, which is upcoming I think this discussion has slid under the radar just a little bit. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talking text line. You can join me there. I, free agency always gets a little bit of conversation. This time of year, it's it's overshadowed by the draft, which is fair. I, I think there's one conversation, one point that's not being made that I want to talk about. And this was prompted late yesterday and, and earlier today as well as we get more details about Landon Collins. He's going to hit the open market. The Giants are going to let him hit the open market. They're not going to re-sign him. They're not going to franchise tag him, which was basically their only option at this point, and then work on a long-term deal from there. They're going to let him walk. Oh, yeah, and by the way, earlier this afternoon, the Saints, or not the Saints, the Ravens cut Eric Weddle. So that's another veteran safety on the market. The Packers have a couple of needs. It sounds, and, and from all that we've heard from people close to the Packers and people that were having those discussions at the Combine, which, you and I can't overstate this, the Combine is a lot of player evaluation. It's a lot of player observation maybe is a good way to put it and there's lots of discussions with those players and lots of drills obviously it's also a huge networking event for the NFL all the reporters are there 
All the executives are there. The coaches are there. They're trying to grab people in the hallway and, and at lunch. Everybody's trying to talk to everyone all the time and, and meet up with connections. So this is where we get a lot of that stuff. It sounds like the Packers are going to be very aggressive in free agency when it comes to trying to track down help for their pass rush. That's great. The Packers also have a huge need at safety. You could argue maybe a bigger need. Now, you could talk about which position is more important, but the Packers, I think, are shorter at safety. You could argue that they could make do a pass rusher with Kyle, Kyler Fackrell and Nick Perry. Although they might cut him. There's 10 days now before he's due his roster bonus. And, you know, Reggie Reggie Gilbert, okay, they can make something work. And they have a good defensive line, especially if they choose to bring back Muhammad Wilkerson. Like, they could generate a pass rush, right? You can't really make the argument that they have a at least a solid group of safeties because right now, your starting safety is probably Tremont Williams. Not great, right? But all the conversation, all the hype, and all the scoops coming out of Indianapolis and from the NFL Combine where the Packers are going to be aggressive in free agency when it comes to trying to track down a pass rusher. They also want to look at some of the draft. They're not excluding the draft, but they want to be aggressive in free agency. Well, here's the thing. We all turn to the internet and turn to these websites to look at these big lists of players who are set to hit the market, set to be free agents, right? Well, it never turns out to be as lucrative and as wide open as we see, right? Because I'm looking at a list right now. This is from last month of the best Free agents to be at the pass rushing position. Number one is Demarcus Lawrence. D. Ford is at number two. Jadavian Clowney at number three. And then you start going down the list. Sheldon Richardson, Adamakin Sue. Here's the thing. Jadavian Clowney has been franchise tagged. No surprise. D. Ford has been franchise tagged. Although it looks like they are possibly looking to trade D. Ford anyways. But he has been tagged. He's not going to be a free agent. These lists and these groups of here's the free agent class. It's going to shrink. It's going to cut in half or maybe even cut smaller than half because guys are going to get tagged. Guys are going to sign extensions. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. The pool always gets smaller than it looks like in February and in early March, right? Free agency is approaching here rather quickly. But in February, it looks like this grand graduating class of free agents and you're just going to have your pick of the litter. It never turns out that way. The number is always shrunk down. Now, pass rushers, yeah, I like Demarcus Lawrence. Yeah, if you could trade for D Ford, I, I think it's nice. Zadarius Smith is going to be a free agent from the Ravens. Frank Clark. From the Seahawks, Sheldon Richardson's a defensive tackle. He's not an edge rusher, but he fits into that group as well. The Dominican Sue, say what you want. I don't know that this free agent edge rusher class is tremendous. Now, the draft, you could convince me otherwise. The safeties, on the other hand, now this is this is going to be a class. Earl Thomas, Landon Collins. Teron Matthew, LaMarcus Joyner, HaHa Clinton Dix, Adrian Amos, Kenny Vaccaro. And by the way, since that list was released, this is tweeted out yesterday. Uh, I'm reading a tweet by Tom Pellicero uh, from this morning, I should say, at 945. Since then, Eric Weddle has been cut. So you can add him to that group. It's going to be a lot of good free agents hit the market. Wait, it sounds like Landon Collins isn't going to get franchise tagged. We don't know about Teron Matthew. I can't imagine how Clint Dix is getting tagged. LaMarcus Joyner, I don't think he's getting tagged because the Rams have money they want to spend other uh, elsewhere. Adrian Amos is already, it's a done deal. He's out. Earl Thomas is out. There's a lot of free agents in that safety class. Now, the edge rusher is a little bit different. There's some bodies, but it's going to get cut down with the franchise tag as it already has, and guys could still resign. Safeties, there is a ton. I mean, think of it this way. Now, with Eric Weddle on the market, you could argue that the third or fourth best safety in this free agent class is Teron Matthew, the Honey Badger. That is a really strong group, a really deep group. So I'm looking at the Green Bay Packers, and let's be real, the salary cap exists. There is only so much money to be spent on free agents. Now, of course, you have resources to allocate in the draft. If you wanted to make a trade, you could do that as well. And you're hoping for some of your players to improve from within as well. But for the most part, 
the two biggest avenues of personnel and roster improvement are through the draft and through free agency. You only have so much capital in each, right? You only have so much cap space. You only have so many draft picks. What position, what players are you going to address with which tool? Because let's let's be real. Free agency is a tool in the toolbox. The draft is a tool in the toolbox. Trades are a tool in the toolbox. You can't build a house with only one tool. You can't construct a roster with only one tool, which is the problem that Ted Thompson got into. He was using one tool, the draft, to try to build an entire house. It's not going to work. And that's why he eventually was was let go or was demoted. Now, the Packers want to use all their tools in the toolbox, but you want to use them efficiently, right? You don't want to use a hammer to measure how long a board is, and you don't want to use a tape measure to pound a nail into the wall. So would it be better to spend money on this class of safeties, or would it be better to invest some money into a smaller, less talented, less deep group of edge rushers? That's the question, because the Packers have draft picks. They have cap space. What are they going to spend on what? That's the question we need to ask. 608-796-2558. You can give me your thoughts on the five-star telecom talk and text line. There's also other factors at play here. In years past, especially, not just with the new rules that the NFL has come out with and the way that you play defense and the way in which penalties are called and the game is officiated now, the safety has kind of become a devalued position. Right? Gone are the days of an Ed Reed where you can just come up the seam and just smack someone, right? Can't really do that anymore. And I think that has forced safeties to sometimes play within a smaller skill set. Right now, there's something to be said for safeties at the highest level. A guy like Earl Thomas, who can communicate and be that defensive quarterback of sorts and can make everyone else around him better. But gone are the days of a guy like Ed Reed, whose number one role was to lay down the hammer and make wide receivers scared to come across the middle and catch a pass in the middle of a zone or behind a linebacker, right? Safeties have changed. The safety position has changed, and it has become devalued more so than ever before. How often are are we talking about an NFL draft, and and we're saying this team has got to draft a safety? Got to get a safety in here. No, of course, we're going to talk about the pass rush. We're going to talk about you need a lockdown corner. You need a defensive lineman up the middle, right? You win in the trenches. Nobody's arguing to draft safeties high up in the draft, right? But the Packers need safety. I mean, they are without safeties. Your day one, your week one starter at safety right now is probably going to be Tremont Williams. Not a great situation. So the Packers have a certain amount of capital. They have certain tools. How are they going to use this capital and their tools efficiently to get the best possible product and get the biggest haul possible? Right, because if you go ahead and spend all of your cap space on Demarcus Lawrence, if he hits free agency, which is not a given from the Cowboys, right? If you use all your cap space on that, that's great. Now, all of a sudden, not only are you without any cap space, but now in the first round, you might be less tempted to take a pass rusher at 12 or at 30 because you know you just spent a butt ton of money on one because you know you just allocated your capital on the free agent side. You don't want to go ahead and and turn around and, and allocate your best capital, your strongest picks on the draft side at the same position. You need a little bit of both. You need a safety you need some pass rush. Now, who you want to get, how you want to get, where you want to get them, that's that, that's for the Packers to figure out, and that's for us to discuss and speculate. I think it would be better, and I'll share my opinion, I think it would be better for the Packers to spend that free agency money on a safety. I'm not saying they need to blow it on on, on Earl Thomas, although he, I think he would be incredible on the Packers, or Landon Collins, although I would love him, or Teron Matthew, because I would love him too. Ha, ah, Clinton Dix is an interesting case study. But there are a lot of safeties who have played more than one contract, one, two, three contracts in the league, who are seasoned, who could immediately add experience on the back end of that team. And let's be real, 
I love some of the talent that the Packers have accrued on defense, specifically in guys like Jair Alexander and Kevin King. And that's just talking about the corners. You look at the defensive line. I like Kenny Clark, right? Good young player, I think. Tyler Fackrell, heck, you could say he's a good young player, too. You need the glue. You need the leader on the defense to pull it all together. Who was the leader on the defense last year? I like Tremont Williams, but it's hard for him to lead when he's playing a position that's not his first and foremost natural position. I know everybody raves about his ability, and it is impressive in and of itself to just step away from your position and perform competently at a different one. But I think it would be a little bit unfair to ask Tremont Williams to be the leader and to be the quarterback of the defense playing out of position. You go ahead and get a guy, and, and I'm just, I'm just for the sake of example, Earl Thomas probably isn't realistic, and neither is Landon Collins or Tremont Matthew, although that would be great. Probably not realistic. It would be fair to those guys to say, we need you to lead. We need you to teach these young guys how to behave, how to prepare, how to watch film, how to get ready for games, how to deal with a tough road environment, how to play in a high-pressure fourth-quarter situation, right? Maybe how to change their mentality when you're down and you need a, you need a turnover, right? How, how do you change your play style? Those are all things that, that one addition, especially at the safety position, One player could really make a difference and lift up everyone around him, especially because the Packers are so young at so many positions. That's what I look when I look at this free agent class at safety. That's what I see. I see options and I see opportunities for older, more seasoned players who've played multiple contracts, some of them on multiple teams in the case of Teron Matthew. I could really elevate the defense. And, and, and if you're going to allocate a big chunk of your cap, and let's be real, if you are signing a guy like Earl Thomas, Landon Collins, or Teron Matthews, Teron Matthews, just to say at the top, now Eric Weddle's available as well, you're going to spend a little bit of money. Would it be better money spent on a safety than on a pass rusher? I don't know. Some we're going to have to pay attention as, as free agency approaches. And part of it, some of those guys might get tagged. Some of those guys might become not available for one reason or another. I don't know. I don't think Haha Clinton Dix is getting tagged at this point. I don't think Landon Collins is going to get tagged because that's what we were hearing and seeing. The Giants are going to move on. I don't think Teron Matthews is going to get tagged. LaMarcus Joyner's not coming back. The Rams got money to spend elsewhere. I think that money would be better spent on a safety than on a pass rusher. I'll just I'll just come out and say it. How does that sound? Fine, I'll say it. There it is. I want the Packers to spend cap space and free agency money on a safety and not a pass rusher. There, I'll come out and say it. Thank you very much. It just took over 13 or 14 minutes for me to finally get to the point, right? When we come back, I want to continue this conversation. The Packers' situation is very interesting right now. There's a lot going on. Like I said, we're 10 days away from Nick Perry's contract bonus being due. So if the Packers want to move on, it would make sense for them to do so before then. We're obviously rolling up on the draft. Free agency date is approaching. A lot going on. I hope to hear from you. 608-796-2558 on the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line on Twitter as well. At Keystroker Grant and at WKTY. Packers Talk to wrap up the Wisco Sports Show when we get back here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I am your host, Grant Bills. Good show today so far. We've been checking out the Bucks so far. Like, yeah, it's about to go south. We were talking Bucks for the first half. If you want to check out what you missed, you can find it at WKTYsports.com. All of our shows are available as podcasts right there. Skip around, hear what you want, skip what you don't. It's the perfect way to listen, right? We have been talking Packers the last couple of minutes and how the Packers should allocate their resources, right? And we were talking about the free agent class of pass rushers that's about to be and the free agent class of safeties that is about to be and how the class is never 
turn out to be as good as you think in February or in early March. And it sounds now just seven minutes ago over the commercial break that we were just on. Aaron Wilson, who writes for the Houston Chronicle, covers the Texans, tweeting out Texans are making a push to try to retain safety to Ron Matthew, including a preliminary contract offer, according to league sources. Fluid situation, but they are doing what they can to keep him. My sense is he wants to remain in Houston, but will have plenty of other offers. Pro Football Focus also reporting that the Ravens are expected to make a strong push for Teron Matthews. So it is a fluid situation. Players are moving around. Franchise tags are being applied, right? Contract uh, uh, extensions are are trying to be offered. They're trying to re-sign these players. There's a lot going on. What we have to do is, is kind of view it objectively. Like there will be all of these players available, even though there definitely won't be. The safety class is still much larger and still deeper than the class of pass rushers. So I ask you, where should the Packers allocate their resources? Because I've talked about this for the last couple of months. There's a couple avenues for a team to improve in the offseason, right? You have the draft, which is basically an equal level playing field for all the teams. Everybody gets the draft. You have free agency. Some teams have more cap space than others. Everybody plays by slightly different rules. You, of course, have trades which are fewer and farther between in the NFL, at least compared to other leagues. They're becoming more common, though. And then you have player development, because you can't forget about the players, especially the young players that are already on your roster, who you're hoping are going to get better. The thing about player development is every team's young players should be getting better at some pace, right? Some teams might have better development programs, but for the most part, the Packers, for example, are hoping Equinemia St. Brown and Marquez Valdez-Scaling and Jamon Moore all take a step this year. That's an avenue of improving the team. But in terms of acquiring new talent, you got the draft, you got trades, and you have free agency. All of these avenues are just tools in a toolbox. Uh, I used to talk in high school. I remember uh, my economics teacher and I used to talk about this all the time in terms of talking about Ted Thompson. Ted Thompson is great. He loves to use the draft, which is a very... It's a consistent way to build a team. It's a pretty safe way to build a team. You're not really going to get yourself up a creek without a paddle, if you know what I'm saying just focusing on building your team through the draft. Unfortunately, it's only one tool in the toolbox, and I'm not a carpenter. I'm not an electrician or a plumber, but I think I can safely assume that if you try to build a house using only one tool, you're going to be at a major disadvantage, and your house isn't going to be as good as other houses around you because you're competing with a builder who has a full set of tools and a full toolbox, Who and I would assume he is using all of those tools. So you're putting yourself in a disadvantage. You're tying one hand behind your back when you only use the draft or you only use free agency. So the Packers have multiple avenues to improve their team. I think it would be better, and I admitted this, I came out and said as such uh, in our previous segment, that I think the Packers would be better if they are to spend a sizable amount of money in free agency, which they have the flexibility to do if they want. They have a good amount of cap space this year for the first time in a while. They could, and I think it would be better for them to go and get a safety. Now, the upcoming safety class, as of right now, Landon Collins sounds like he's going to hit the market. He escaped the Giants in terms of a contract extension, and it sounds like they're not going to tag him. He's going to be free. That doesn't happen very often. Earl Thomas is going to be a free agent. Teron Matthew is set to be a free agent, but it sounds like Houston is is wanting to keep him around. Ravens are going to make a push for him. Lamarcus Joyner, haha, Clinton Dix, who I would imagine the Packers probably don't want to bring back. Adrian Amos, Kenny Vaccaro, and down and down the list goes. Eric Weddle has now also been released by the Ravens. There's a lot of bodies out there. And the Packers, say what you want about their pass rush, probably have a more dire need at safety. The Packers could get by with the edge rushers they currently have if all stays healthy because they're going to have Nick Perry, assuming they don't cut him. They're going to have Kyler Fackrell had a pretty good season. They're going to have guys like Reggie Gilbert and 
and, and other outside backers who showed flashes here and there last year. And their defensive line is pretty good. And there's more than one way to manufacture a pass rush, right? We saw the Eagles do that with their interior line, their Super Bowl year. The backers were pretty good at that this previous year, except their entire defensive line got hurt. There's more than one way to generate a pass rush. There's really not more than one way to line up a safety. And I know the Packers have moved Tremont Williams around and they ask him to do different things. But if your day one starter at safety is a corner, I would say you have not done your job in the offseason. I think the Packers have a bigger need at safety. The problem is safety isn't as valuable of a position. So I do see the reluctance to go ahead and spend big money on a safety who, let's be real, safeties really aren't held in the same regard they were just a couple of years ago when you guys, like, remember when they had Nick Collins and he was just a bruiser? Like, you didn't come over the middle on Nick Collins. You didn't come over the middle on Ed Reed or even an Eric Weddle a couple of years ago who's now been released. Safeties aren't allowed to play that way anymore. It's a different position. What's upstairs is almost more important. You need to organize and command your secondary in the defense. You need to be the quarterback on the defensive side of the ball. And I think the Packers are in need of a player like that because I think one veteran, one veteran who can just organize things, who can instill some wisdom and some knowledge and some teachings on those younger players who the Packers have drafted in recent years, I think a new safety elevates everyone. I think the Packers can get a hired gun type of pass rusher in the draft, either a pick 12 or a pick 30, or even if they want to maneuver back up into third round for a third time. Like, I I don't know. There's lots of different avenues and lots of different ways to get pass rushers. I don't know if backing up the Brinks truck for a free agent pass rusher is exactly the most efficient use of their funds. Now, it sounds like the, the, the Chiefs tagged D Ford, right? That they would be willing to trade D Ford, I think, who's on a one year deal. You'd essentially be getting a rental. Be open to re-signing D Ford, of course. Do the Packers go that route? I wouldn't be against that either. I just don't know that right now the the free agency class to be once again has not graduated into free agency. Yes, Demarcus Lawrence, D Ford, who's been tagged. Jadavion Clowney, who's been tagged. Zadarius Smith, who's an outside linebacker. He's not even an end. Frank Clark, defensive end, and Sheldon Richardson, who's a tackle, as is Nadamakin Sue. Like I, that class does not jump off of the page like that group of safeties we were just talking about. Oh yeah, and by the way. Maybe Demarcus Lawrence get tagged. D Ford has already been tagged. Jadavion Clowney's already been tagged. Names start falling off the board immediately. That's going to be the case with the safeties, but it's not going to be the case to that extent. I think the Packers would be smarter to spend their funds on a safety, even though I know that player and that position has become devalued. You saw last year when they were rotating guys through like Eddie Pleasant and Tremont Williams, their defense was still able to be okay, right? Imagine now if you put Tremont Williams back in his natural position and you bring in a safety to be a leader and your quarterback and your communicator on your defense and a mentor as guys like Jerry Alexander and Kevin King and Josh Jackson are coming of age. Now, all of a sudden, you don't just have young talent, but you have some organization. You have a direction. And as we heard Mike Patton speak about last week, last year, Mike Patton in the first year spent a lot of time telling guys what to do and not about how to do it. You need to graduate to that second level. It's not where are we lining up? It's, well, once we're lined up, what next? How do we want to play? Not what and where do we want to play, but how do we want to play? And I think adding a veteran on the back end doesn't have to be Earl Thomas. It can be a lower tier guy, a guy who's been around the block for a while. Played a couple of seasons, played a couple of contracts. I think that could really boost this defense to the next level. And then you go and get an athletic pass rusher in the draft, and there you go. Boom. Defense is off and running. As Bill Michaels would say, how you looking? Great Wisco Sports Show today. Don't forget, you can check out the podcast at WK2iSports.com to find all you missed. Until tomorrow, same time, same place here on WKTY. I'll talk to you then.